Welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon, and we are here. It is now the end of January. Life is good. I have my beautiful co-host sitting across the... <laughs> well, I was going to say call it a table, but it's kind of small. It's like a stool top. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm warmer. Um, and I think most of Alberta is warmer as well. So. We couldn't get any colder. No. I, I think it went, well, we uh, could have, but let's just not challenge the gods for that. Yeah, we could, a week ago, I think we were colder than the surface of the moon, weren't we? High heights to shoot for. Yeah. <laughs> so please introduce our guest. So tonight we have Stacy Skirpin with us, and Stacy is a trapper and a mother and a wife and a very busy person. So Stacy, thanks so much for joining us tonight. It's really great to have you on the line. Well, thank you for having me. It's quite a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Uh, not, not so much honor. You'll be you'll be tired of us here by the time we're done. <laughs> so tell maybe oh, she'll gosh. be tired of you, but yeah. she will not be tired of me. Oh, uh, I gotta Absolutely. tell you, forty years, forty years. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, now, be nice. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about you. Um, whereabouts in the world are you located? Like, we don't need an address. We're just general location, <laughs> and. Um, uh, and okay. what, uh, you know, uh, what kind of, uh, of a childhood or upbringing that, that got you to where you're at now? Okay. Um, well, I was born at a very young age. Um, you know, it was brand new. <laughs> um, grew up in a very small town called Plamondon, um, or closer to Laclavish is where I live now. Um, I'm the oldest of 10 children. My mom and dad, um, chose to homeschool us and live a very outdoors, um, you know, work, work ethic kind of filled life, um, you know, work hard, but play harder on the weekends. Um, I guess so. so 10 children. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, exactly. I might've put in some time in helping around the house. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was either I was in the house helping my mom or I was outside helping my dad with the yard work or um, you know, just trying to make things a go. And, and like I said, my mom homeschooled us too. So that way, you know, we had time to learn life skills on top of, you know, just our academics as well. So, um, yeah, you could do your, you could do your, your multiplication tables while you were feeding the hogs, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get that. You count taters. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you get, you guys were multitaskers before the word was invented. Exactly. I, That's, you look that up in the dictionary. You see all twelve of us. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? I think the whole uh, concept of life skills is something that's missing from the average education these days. So, weren't you fortunate to have that experience in your life? So blessed, and and I've also been doubly blessed in the fact that now I'm able to um, continue that tradition, and I homeschool our two daughters. Um, they're now 15 and 12. So, you know, reaching an age where they're teenagers, but, you know, still being able to go out into the world with, you know, you know, I think a really strong work ethic, um, work, you know, work life skills in that, you know, my 12 year old could fix you up a meal or plant a garden and, you know, still be able to read, <laughs> you know, academically, um, reach her achievements as well. So to me, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to say, hey, you know, like, let's learn this today. And then we go out and do it, right? And, and you get that right. hands-on approach that not many kids get. Um, no. So, yeah. 
You know, another thing too, though, that I, I find fascinating and, and something that's changing so much with uh, the way society is changing, people who come from large families, there was no such thing as an introvert, was there? Or, or that was the skinny one in the family. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. If you didn't move fast, you didn't eat. <laughs> you guys probably had the same menu I had as a, as a kid. Take it or leave it. <laughs> those, yes. those were your menu choices. <laughs> Absolutely. It was uh, lots of potatoes, lots of deer, some moose. <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah, the meat and potatoes stuff. When we look back now, like you know, today everybody's talking about uh, you know the carnivore diet and all that, and I and I say to Sandy, I said that was us, you know. I mean, you you, you might have had bacon and eggs for breakfast, but then you you had fried moose steak for lunch, and and then you had a, a moose roast for supper, and and you did it the same same thing again the next day, you know, over and over. Yeah, yeah, it was it was effective, and nobody you know nobody starved to death. Nope. <laughs> no, I'm not not a I'm not a poster child for starving. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So and then you worked hard enough the next day to to, to not stay fat. <laughs> That's true. Um, just for the benefit of people who aren't from Alberta, how would you describe where Lac La Biche is relative to like maybe a, a landmark like Calgary or Edmonton? Oh, okay. Um, so I'm about uh, two and a half, three hours northeast of Edmonton. Right. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of out, out there. Um, we're like that halfway point between Edmonton and Fort McMurray. Um, That's right. Yeah. So, well, we've yeah, been there a couple of times in our lifetime and, and, uh, but we do have listeners, uh, who are from all over the place and, and many of them from the U S so it's good to give them a bit of a landmark to say, okay, well, that's north, and there's probably <laughs> snow there, and they'd be right. They're, they would not be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think we're sitting at about 18 inches of snow right now, and like you guys said, we've just come out of the deep freeze, so it was a beautiful day today. We hit, um, I think it was minus three, so. Yeah, I know. Man. It's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, no, no coats and toques today, was there? <laughs> no. <laughs> nope, got to check the cows without all my gear. That was kind of nice. Well, that's awesome, Stacy. Did you um, did you have experience trapping when you were growing up? Like, is that something that you did with your dad or your grandpa? Um, kind of. We had a family friend, and he was kind of like, I guess you could call him an adopted grandpa. So, um, when I was when I was about three, my dad and his brothers helped him build a cabin on his trap line. So, just kind of north of Wandering River, um, again on the way to Fort McMurray you know, north of nowheres. And I could, I could just tell you, like, my best memories were most weekends up at the cabin at the trap line and, you know, visiting Trapper Don. He was this giant of a man. And he just loved having all of us kids out there just, just running rampant. We're like a bunch of feral children all over the place. Me and my cousins and... <laughs> We've met you know, a few just, of those. Just... I think we might have raised three. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I love that laundry. term. I love that term, feral children. <laughs> you know, and it was great. You know, there was a rope swing and there was there was really no rules other than, you know, you came when, when supper was ready because all the moms were, you know, brought in, a, a you know, a, a bag of homemade buns or a salad or a casserole. And there was, you know, a turkey cooking in the wood stove. And, you know, we just played hard. And then 
and it was time to eat. And then we played hard and kicked the can till you know, we all crashed one by one by the fire. It was, <laughs> it was, it was great. <laughs> what a great childhood. Oh yeah. That's, that, that, that sounds so much like mine, except it was before cans were invented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> carry on. It was a stump, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so like we were always out at the trap line and, and you know, Trapper Don was out every every winter and he, he trapped all winter and we would skidoo out and my dad had built, because there was a few of us kids, remember, so he had built what he called the skiboose and he would pull that with his old 340 skidoo and we would, we'd hike in and, it, you know, it would be like camping every weekend in, in the winter at the cabin and got to see all sorts of animals and, and we weren't really allowed to help with preparing of the animals like skinning and such but you know he always had a good story and you know just good times and he he involved us kids in that it, we built a love for the outdoors in a very organic natural way that it just became such a huge part of my life um and I never could imagine not having that and then when I was 30 he passed away very suddenly from an aneurysm and oh. I felt a giant part of me was kind of like that that story had ended in my life you know like that chapter had closed and you know like i didn't know how to get it back um right. so it was yeah like it so that, that tells you how how much it it affects a person or you know creates who you are as as a child growing up with that right oh, exactly exactly so you at at 30 you found yourself yeah. a mentor to, to, to get, get you out trapping? No, actually, I was older than that. It was only three years ago. Um, so my husband is part of a flying club. He had his he has his private license. And Lackladish uh, puts on a, an event every winter called the Winter Festival of Speed. And it's actually a really cool event. And they have... Um, ice races on the lake, they clear a track and there's cars and skidoos and, and they also have a fly-in, which is, um, pretty novel in that they make, um, a, a huge runway and private, um, airplane, like airplane pilots can come in and land their, their planes right on the ice. And so I was taking photographs that year of all the planes landing on the ice. And again, this, this giant of a man shows up and he was part of the, the flying club, but he was also a trapper and part of the trapping club. And, um, he shows up six foot seven of him wearing a fur coat that's made out of seven wolf pelts. Cause that's how big he was. <laughs> and, wow. and I met him and I'm taking these photos and he's talking to me and he was so charismatic. And, um, you know, his, he was known to all of his friends as Bob the trapper. Right. And, and it was like, wow, this guy's really cool. And it was like a part of me opened up again and it was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And he, he's like, he was so friendly. He, he just brought you into himself and he just wanted to be friends with everyone. And he was like, why don't you come out to Agnes Lake and visit me and, and, you know, come see me on the trap line. And, and we decided to, you know, be, like after, you know, we all became friends with the family, we did. And we went out to the trap line and visited with, and it was like, wow, this is really good. And he was the one who was very instrumental in encouraging me and saying, you know, like, why don't you? And so it was probably a month later, um, I had started Taekwondo with my daughters. And I met um, 
I had a friend there and we were talking about trapping and, you know, how I thought I would be really neat to start it up. And he's like, that's really funny because next weekend my dad's teaching the trapping course here in Lac-La-Biche. And so I signed up and I'm like, here we go. I guess this is what I'm going to do because I'd, I'd really like to. And it was very spur of the moment decision, really fueled by Bob the Trapper saying, well, why don't you? And, oh. and I asked myself, well, why don't I? <laughs> and so I did. That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So it was pretty neat. After the three, the three day weekend course, I called them up and I said, Hey, like, guess what? I just went and did. I said, hope you want a junior because you know, that offer better stand because you just gained one. <laughs> <laughs> Can't back out now. So it's too late. <laughs> what, what do your daughters think of this? They, they actually, I think they like telling their friends that their mom's a trapper and a hunter because it's a little bit of shock value. <laughs> yeah. Kids are that I'm way. All of, <laughs> yeah. You're right. You know, I'm all of five one and, and they think it's hilarious that they're taller than mom and yet their mom goes out hunting and trapping every, you know, every day. And, and then I enjoy it. And then when their friends come over, they're like, Hey, come to the skinning shack. Look at what mom's got going on here. And, and, <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Although that, I think that the one cool day fact. I trapped a, <laughs> Yeah, I think the one day though when I trapped a skunk, they were not very happy with me. <laughs> oh. We've done that before. We don't have yeah. we've never run into any skunks up on our trap line or even here at home. But um oh. but they're out there. Yeah. We're, we're, they we're... are and Go ahead. Oh, I uh, know. I was going to say with, with the chickens around here, they kind of, they kind of stick around and they're uh, definitely not a critter you want visiting very regularly. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you have a, a ranch, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, some chickens and we run, um, bread, uh, sorry, uh, purebred Dexter cattle. And we also raise miniature horses and quarter horses. Okay. So, I mean, being a rancher for one one thing, you're you're very tied to to the uh, uh, to the land as it is and the animals. But now you also have that mm -hmm. that interaction between you and and the wild, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that as a rancher and a trapper, they go hand in hand really well. Um, I I hold my residential license, so I run a little bit of a residential um, line here on the on the farm which is nice because then I can do predator control. Um, I could, you know, take care of the population on, you know, coyotes. This year it was fox. I couldn't believe how many I took off of the, the farm this year. Really? Um, you know, just, yeah, I got 14 fox this year so far, just on the one wow. quarter. Okay. And so <laughs> how, how are you trapping them? Um, well, I set up some bait stations. Um, and then just had some, you know, footholds and some snares coming in on, on various trails that I knew that they were using. Um, I also set a couple on rabbit trails because there's quite a few rabbits this year. Yeah. And was pretty successful with, with that as well. Um, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't very hard. Let me tell you, they just, no, I mean, they, they, always talk about, they always talk about smart like a fox, but, and they're the dumbest canine, right? Uh, they, I, I would have to say so. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. And it's always funny. I get, I, they, they, they had a really good PR man, right? <laughs> yeah. He bought them all kinds of publicity that, 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 that they didn't deserve. When, um, when you're no. staring, are you, um, 
Are you using power amps or are you using free hangers? What are you using? Um, I'm using uh, half and half, I guess, like some of the Seneca uh, style with yeah. the stingers, just using a number nine wire and trees on trails, right? Like, so right. just because we're pretty wooded where, where I'm going. So I just kind of use a lot of the trees for entanglement um, or the lights out. I've been using them as well on, on some of the, uh, like the fence lines. Right. They're actually really nice and easy to set yeah. for that. Um, just kind of been playing around with a few different things, um, seeing what works just cause I'm so new at it. Like this is only my um, third winter. Right. In trapping. Okay. So well, that, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're footholding them too. I mean, it's always an accomplishment to foothold. Yeah. I, I'd actually have to say like 80% of my, my catches have been on footholds this year, but I think, um, in due part would be that I used bait stations, you know, like, um, deer like leftover deer parts and my moose bones when i was done butchering i used that for for bait stations or whatever rabbit guts i had left over well it seemed to work and part good of it, for that part of it though too would be you'd be setting your snares for coyote right you'd be setting for height and, and I, eyes for coyote more than more than uh, fox i was yeah but um they still seem to find their way into them yeah, no, I, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing sometimes what you catch in, in what. That's, that's a fact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the skunk was one of them. He was in one of my fox footholds. Oh. <laughs> that's exciting. He was in a happy camper when I showed up. <laughs> no. Was, was the snow all green, like nuclear green all the way around him? Oh, and like he had dug six inches deep in one area. He was so not happy. I smelled him coming around the corner and I'm going, oh, I guess that's today. <laughs> <laughs> so when you showed up with your new uh, trapper certificate in your hand, what, what did what did Trapper Don say? Did... Oh, oh, Bob the Trapper? Oh, Bob, I'm sorry. Yeah, so he... Yeah, J Trapper Don was the first one and then and Bob the Trapper was who I was mentoring under. Um, for my first two years, um, he was, he was pretty happy and proud. And, and then, um, I had told them, like, I wanted for myself, I don't see too many people in my generation taking up trapping anymore and being really serious about it. And so I, I told him, like, in honor of Trapper Don and in him, you know, taking me on, I wanted to pass on that legacy, um, and keep it living in myself. And then, you know, hopefully in my children and my family and how, you know, I don't want those those old skills and that knowledge lost. Oh, um, I think it's important. It's where we've come from. Right. You know, um, I mean, trapping is what explored, opened, you know, created Canada, you know, uh, since the late 1600s was when the first fur trappers started over here driven by the, you know, the beaver for beaver uh, felt hats. And you would yep. know it today. You would not know it. I'm, I don't think they teach it in, in uh, Canadian history anymore. I don't even know if they teach history in school anymore. You know, it's something that I oh. have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, I, I probably have a better chance at it than, than you. Cause you, you, your mom taught you it. <laughs> we, my mom taught me and I taught my girls like last year we, we focused on Canadian history. So I know for sure I put that in the girls. That's good. That's good. That's good. Cause we get a lot, of course, with, with the TV show and that we have a lot of interaction with people 
And one of the yes. one of the saddest things you hear, and it's so common, is I didn't even know trapping was legal anymore. And it's like, wow, yeah, isn't that isn't that something? I, I had a big discussion with, with with the uh, an American trapper today, and he was going on and on about uh, uh, they're starting to lose some of their rights to use footholds and and uh, that kind of stuff, and they're moving to cage trapping, which I cannot imagine how hard that would be to do. Those cages are so oh, big wow. and and so bulky yeah. to, to move around. No, not to mention expensive, you know. And he was right? he was saying that um, uh, you know he, that. Americans didn't like to be told what to do. And I says, well, nobody does. And that, you know, we, <laughs> we ended up, you know, signing, being signatory to the uh, agreement for uh, international humane trapping standards, right? And that that kept the uh, fur market open or the, 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 the uh, fur trade open with the, uh, the European Union. And I said, you're welcome. And he says, what do you mean by that? I said, well, yeah. you guys aren't signatory to it. And but if we hadn't done that, you you never would be. And then that's when he got into the well, they didn't want to be told what to do. And I said, I understand that we didn't either. But we sat back and we said to them, OK, now you're all worried about what's humane trapping. You, you explain to us your definition mm -hmm. of humane trapping. And once they did that, then we designed traps that met that. And they're caught. Yeah. They're, they're stuck. They, they can't say anything more because they defined humane trapping. We met the definition uh, we're good to yes. go. <laughs> there are still a lot of people yep. though, out there, and I, I don't know if you encounter very many of them, Stacy, that that don't understand trapping or the fur industry in general. Is is that something that you've encountered? I mean, living in a more remote place like you do and like what we do, um, I think we're more likely to run into like-minded people here. But do you ever run into people who are? Um, anti-fur because they don't know any anything about what modern fur trapping is? Absolutely, I have. And, and what the exciting part is, is that I can educate them. Uh, somebody who is passionate about it can kind of, I guess, translate that in that, you know, if you just sit down and explain it to them, a lot of them have opened up. Um, when I have sat down and said, Hey, you know what, this is what I do. And they're like, Oh my gosh, how could you do that? And I'm like, well, it's, it's easy because, you know, for me on the farm, I can, I can say, hey, I use it for population control, predator control, even disease control, you know, like, yes. um, you know, keeping mange or, you know, mites down on the coyotes by not letting them get out of hand or, you know, I'm protecting my livestock, you know, and then, and then with that, I can turn it around and say, but I could go a step farther in that. I know that Alberta's um, rules are some of the, the best in the country for ethical and humane trapping um, or even hunting. And then uh, even go farther than that and say, it's actually eco-friendly. You know, your North Face jacket that's made out of nylon is going to disintegrate when 400 years from now. But my fur mittens that I've made, you know, when I'm done with them in 20 years, when they finally break down, guess what happens to them? They just go back to nature. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, an, it's a green alternative that's not new, <laughs> right? It's just going back to your roots. Isn't it funny though? Well, in today's, it's, it's fun. Isn't it funny? I, I, I this is kind of like the twist of of having European Union define what uh, humane was, and then us sticking it to them. But to use the green argument to defend hunt, uh, trapping that's been around since since man first started to walk upright. 
you know, to be able to use. Well, and that's just that. it. We needed it. Well, yeah. Yeah. This is like anybody doesn't think we need oil and gas anymore. Should have tried living in Alberta the last week. <laughs> oh, good Lord. They'd be begging for the oil and gas to be turned on like full throttle. <laughs> well, that's interesting, though. I mean, I think you probably see um, a kinder, gentler side of people when it comes to being uh, anti-fur, anti-hunting and that uh, we get. We get very little of it, but the ones we get are pretty rabid. But, you know, you go, go back, look at it, and they're from yeah. the UK, and there's no talking to them anyway, right? Uh, there's just, there's no... It's like trying to bang your head on a wall. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I look at it like this. They're not going to change my mind, so why should I be so egotistical to think that I'm going to change their mind? So I just I just walk away from it, leave, leave it be. Uh, they'll never understand. Absolutely, yeah. They'll never understand what it is to, you know to have to defend your, your calf crop for the year, you know, and, and, and try, try to make sure that you don't lose any to wolves or coyotes. And people just don't, don't understand the reality of that. Although I see this week now, there has yeah. been two different coyote attacks in the, in the States back, uh, back East. And I think maybe, maybe they might notice it. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's really important. Well, you know, what when you pets do. start disappearing. Sorry. What was that? I said when their pets start disappearing from their back step and they say something. Yeah, but uh, the one was uh, a toddler that yeah. was attacked and his dad killed the coyote with his bare hands. Yeah, that was... That, that, That's right, I did see yeah. that. <laughs> Good on the fella, but <laughs> you know, the, what ends up happening though, I mean, they just outlawed trapping in, in uh, California and, now, and then, now they've hired a whole bunch of trappers. You know, the state is now paying them to go right? kill these animals and then they have to destroy the fur isn't that the biggest obscenity ever that you're you're killing this animal for whatever reason and then now because of your inane beliefs you can't use it you can't utilize it it's very similar to what goes and it on seems in europe. like such a waste well it is a waste and it happens yeah. in europe as well especially in holland where they have a real muskrat problem there and they pay trappers but they incinerate the muskrats so and there there are Wow. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands that are are dispatched and wasted every yep. year. Because they do not believe that it's it's that it's ethical to, to use that fur. How it's more ethical to, to allow it to go to waste, I, I don't understand. I yeah. truly don't understand. Yeah. You have though you, you you do something with your fur too, don't you? Like Yeah, um so after um so last year um, Bob the Trapper. Um, it was really funny because it was it was. Um, he ended up introducing me to Morley Smith. Now I know you guys know Morley. Um, he was the wolf man that you guys had on one of your episodes. Absolutely. Teaching yeah. How to uh, snare wolves. So he was like, you know, he needs a junior, and I think you need to be, you know, signing up under him. And um, so. I ended up talking to Morley. Morley took me on. And then in December, Bob the Trapper passed away on his line. Oh, dear. Um, so this year, I've been um, trapping with Morley and learning what I can. <laughs> Obviously, he's a, a huge wealth of knowledge. Um, but we we were talking one day, and I had mentioned um, that I wanted to like learn how to tan my own hides and then you know eventually make mitts hats you know make stuff and come full circle with with what i'm doing in that you know i can trap it tan it and then create a product that's going to you know keep people warm and you know bring people pleasure and and that way 
um, you know, again, you're bringing up the wasting thing, but also learning skills that are being lost again, uh, that that are being passed down, right? Well, I'm trying so hard to find somebody who does the old traditional um, smoked moose-hide tanning. And I understand that, you know, they need to, they, they, they probably have four or five on the go at once at different stages. And that, and I would love to do a video about it because it is being, it is a lost art practically. It is, it is so. It absolutely is. So I found, um, I was kind of talking around town and there's a, there's a lady here. Um, and she's agreed to teach me how to do that this spring when, you know, it's not 40 below outside <laughs> on how to traditionally tan um, moose hide. So I'm super excited for that. I think it's going to be great. Um, and then Bob, the trapper had introduced me to a friend of his, Robert, he's a taxidermist in Edmonton, and he's willing to come down this spring as well and show me how to tan, um, all my fox hides that I got and some rabbit hides. So I can make those into some, you know, like some nice headbands or hats, trim on mittens. And, wow. Um, not let that go to waste. And, you are yeah, very, very so pretty excited over that. Yeah. <laughs> well, at one, time, <laughs> at one time, those wild fox were worth a lot of money, but then they started ranching them. Yeah. And it was. Yes, unfortunately. Well, yeah. And I mean, suddenly now you have a red fox that is the size of a small wolf. And uh, there's no way a wild wild wolf can or a wild fox can can compete with that, right? You know, they're they're so much smaller. No. But turn them into something special like that, and it's a great way to diversify your product, right? Absolutely, and I think it's pretty special to be able to say, "Hey, you know what? I know exactly where that fur came from because I trapped it, I tanned it, and then I made this." And you know, like I don't, I can't think of a better Christmas present to give, you know, a, you know, a friend. Or, you know, sell something like that so they can, you know, give somebody a gift or buy it for themselves, for, you know, to enjoy for years to come. And it comes with a with a story, right? Like you just know exactly where it came from and how it was handled. Yeah, I think those those are the things that um, people are starting to pay attention to again, thankfully, is that mm-hmm. they're they are getting a little bit more connected to where things come from and how they're sourced and who made them and what is the connection to their community, their neighbors, Mm -hmm. what have you, what have you. So I I think that's spectacular that you do that. Oh, I do too. I, I, I really, I, I, my hat's off to you and, and uh, I might have to come see you when you're tanning Fox. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, there's a few now. They're hanging out there. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to do that. <laughs> um, and and like what Sandy was saying, I really appreciate that too. And that like I noticed that even in the farming industry, like people want to know, like it's no different than our farmers market. They want to know where their cows came from to that state. You know, um, I've been selling honey from my bees. You know, and and people are saying I like that I can buy local. I like that I can support local. And and it's. It may, it gives you a sense of pride in saying, you know, like that came from here, you know, and we can all feed each other or take care of each other and help each other out um, while learning new skills and keeping um, keeping traditions alive. Right. Oh, and, you know, the satisfaction, the health of your own soul after having accomplished something mm. like that, 
I mean, that, that makes, that's a glow that lasts you right through a, uh, a week of 40 below. You know what I mean? <laughs> Once you give <laughs> yeah, it is. a gift that you, that you went out and caught and, and tanned and, and then created yourself or, or, you know, whether you processed it through your bees or whatever. I mean, that there's a lot of satisfaction in that. That's, that's a lot of uh, good mental health right there. It is. It absolutely is. Uh, I mean, like you say, the glow, it, maybe it offsets a little bit of frostbite on my cheek. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how many bees do you keep? Um, I have six hives. Okay. And, and uh, you're, you're, you're fair, fair north there. So you get lots of sunshine and you, the, in the summertime, in the summer. Yeah. In the summertime. <laughs> I was getting there. I was getting there. Oh, yeah. I was going to also say there's there's lots of blooming agricultural crops there in the, in the summertime. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, yes, under eighteen yeah. snow right now. So how how much right? uh, how many pounds of honey would they produce for you in a year? So last year was a bit of a slow year, um, just because it rained so much. Um, they're on my hay field, which is nice because then I know that it's only wildflower and um, alfalfa that my my bees are getting their source of nectar and pollen from. Right. Um, but I got about three hundred and sixty pounds of honey. Oh, that's year. awesome! That is awesome, and man, it's <laughs> yeah. so good, doesn't there it? There is nothing like, uh, oh, like really, I guess you'd call it organic and natural honey, uh, non pasteurized and. and is there a way that you tell? I, I read something the other day, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it said that uh, natural honey crystallizes um, where... It absolutely does. Okay, good. So I have authentic honey in my <laughs> cupboard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, and, and like you say, nothing tastes better than just licking that straight off your fingers, you know, right from the honeycomb. Um, it's, it's amazing. Like you can't, you can't go wrong with that. Um, I've made batches of mead from different years of honey and it's really neat because you can taste the difference in flowers in what was more, uh, predominant that year. Like some years it's drier, wetter, different flowers show up. So you can taste the different qualities in your honey. Well, in like this year, I mean, cause it rains so much. I mean, the bees aren't quite as productive when they're swimming back and forth, but you know, in, <laughs> I used to know an old buddy and, uh, that he did bees and that, and he would go anywhere to find fireweed. And he loved that fireweed. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. We have some fireweed out here, but it's not, um, not as prevalent as in other areas, but I'm sure my bees have found it. Right. It's <laughs> cool. So much that you're teaching your kids, uh, about just, how to live like honestly if the apocalypse happened there'd be a stampede to your door because people would know they could get fed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not allowed to give away my oh no we won't do that but fed and warm you know I mean, those, are, those are two things that people would be clamoring for well sandy exactly sandy used to uh, manage a, a team of, uh, of bankers. And it was always a joke when they found out that she was a trapper and a hunter and all that, that they always said that when the zombie apocalypse happened, that they're headed for Sanders place. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Can't blame them. <laughs> but you know what else you're teaching your kids is the absolute confidence that they can grab the bull by the horns, no matter what that shape that bull takes in their life and they can get things done. And that confidence absolutely, and that is the biggest gift you can give a child. 
Absolutely. I agree. And, and even the, the, um, knowing that even if I don't know the answer right now, I could figure it out because there's, there's nothing short of, you know, I guess how to put it is I've taught them how to learn, like not just take people's word for it, but to go look it up, research it, figure it out, you know, try things. Maybe you'll make a mistake. Maybe you don't get it the first time, but keep trying because you'll figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's like the definition of being a trapper. <laughs> first time, first time <laughs> no you, doubt. you get hand caught in a 3.30, you learn you're not doing that again. <laughs> Thankfully, I haven't learned that lesson yet. It's a nasty one, but on a, a little lady like you, it might break your arm off. <laughs> so no doubt. <laughs> tell us, tell us uh, the, the interesting things that you have learned from Morley. Um, he, he's a very passionate man about what he, he does. Um, I know that he said it, like he's done this right from when he was a kid, he grew up, you know, um, he said his dad used to do run dog sled teams or horses to go check the traps and hunting and everything. And, and I just find that fascinating. Um, wolves are definitely his thing. Oh, yeah. The wolf count is down since the wolf calls. So, um, I haven't been able to experience trapping a wolf yet with him. Um, it's definitely something I want to, but I think the thing that I appreciate the most about Morley is his, his desire to teach. Um, when I came on, um, you know, I, I had thoughts of, you know, will he even want, you know, a lady trapper following him around, you know, like, and he was very welcoming and even, encouraged me to bring my husband, bring my kids. And, you know, like, let's go and have fun. Let's go learn together. Let's just, you know, experience it. And, you know, if it works, it doesn't work. Who cares? We got out, we, we were outside and we had fun and, you know, we had a good day. Anyway, it's it's a, um, like Wayne Gretzky said, you don't score on a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. Right. And, and Absolutely. We, we get so many questions about, you know, I've got this, this, and this on my trap line. And so where should I set my, my traps? And the first question I ask them is, how much do you know about your line? You know, do you, do you know what right. the animals use? What's important there? You know, what, what's important to a Martin on my line? Maybe the last thing it's important on your line. You know, my son traps Martin on his line yeah. uh, down at, at Drayton Valley on, on the top of a pine hill. Well, I've never caught a Martin in the pine in my whole life. You know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> the, the the thing about Morley is he's always out there. He's always watching. He's always paying attention, and the, that attention to yeah, detail. You know, yeah. he's he's he, he's he's a great teacher, like you say. But you have to be a great student. You have to know the questions to ask. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. No, and a hundred percent, I would agree with that because he's even in his storytelling and even in his everyday, you know, walking. He's, he's always teaching something and I don't think he even realizes that he's so good at it. Um, you know, even when I was, you know, deer hunting this fall, he was like, so, you know, have you done this and have you done that? And, um, you know, this worked for me one year, but it sure didn't work for me over here. And it, you know, like he's, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And, and I love that he is so observant in nature and that he just, he just knows. <laughs> I, I just hope to learn. A quarter of what he knows would be amazing. Oh, and I mean, wolves, I mean, he can talk to them. And 
I, I, I swear to God, I mean, oh, they, they, yeah. because he understands them so much. I'll never forget the one set. I, I, I'm, I know I've talked about this before. I talk about it all the time because that insight that he had to them, I don't have that insight with wolves. I, uh, you know, some some people mm. have it with, with muskrats or have whatever, whatever. His insight is with wolves. And we were setting up this bait. And he said, you know, are we setting any footholds? And I says, no. I said, I can't because I can't, I can't maintain my 48-hour check. So I couldn't do that. He says, well, this is where we would put a foothold. Yeah. And I said, why? And he says, well, <clears throat> you see that it's kind of on the hill and it's back from the bait. And he says, and there's, there's these couple of trees that, that, that's between this spot and the bait. And he says, a young one will get it, will get itself a piece of that bait and they'll come up here where it can lay and it can watch, make sure nothing's going to attack it and, and it can eat out of sight. And I looked at it and I thought, hmm, that sounds like a good story. And then when I, <laughs> when the wolves came <laughs> back through, one had done exactly that. And, and it stepped right where he said you should put a, put a, a foothold. And it was, it was amazing. And, and it was, I just, Oh, that yeah. guy. And, and, I mean, it came so natural to him. And, and once, once he said it, I mean, it was just, it was so clear. It was so crystal clear, the truth that was ringing out of it. And, I, but yeah. I, I didn't have that connection to the animal to, to make that leap, you know? Yeah. Oh, and he is, he's just, he just seems to know it's like second nature to him. I think just because he has spent so much of his life out in the bush and most of it has been by himself. So he's had no choice, I think, but to just enjoy and to take it all in and learn it and process it and just create um, a relationship with, with nature around him. And he, it yeah. just works. It's kind of neat. So what is your favorite animal to trap? <laughs> this year, Fox. <laughs> yeah, more or least. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More or least taken to calling me the foxy oh, lady. Uh, and and, and it's, it's almost sticking. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like them. I I actually really love the fur. I think it's beautiful. Um, I don't. I don't think we see enough fox out um, in garments. I 100%. Um, so I'm kind of excited to make them into something. The the fur is so soft and luxurious, um, and, and and the color is rich and beautiful. Yeah. Um, and and for me, like like you mentioned before, I'm not a very big person. They're actually pretty easy for me to skin and and uh, get fleshed out really nice. To me, I can take a lot of pride in that. Um, like I can, I can, I could do a really nice finished product and, and I feel good about that. Right. Cause then I'm still honoring the animal and not doing shoddy workmanship on it too. Yeah, so. So that I really like the, the fact that you, um, that you're doing a lot of this stuff yourself, you know, I mean, it is, um, it, it just is full circle, right. For everything that you're doing there. Uh, trapping the animal and whatnot, but uh, but just to make a garment or a garment or mitts or or whatever out of it, I just think it's phenomenal. Well, in today's world, I mean, oh, thank you. All it takes is money. You can have a Canada goose jacket, right? Yeah, and 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 yeah, right? I mean, and money in today's world, money's pretty easy to come by. But to make something out of like your beaver blanket, Sandy, yeah. You know, or or your 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 gauntlets, your beaver gauntlets, and mm -hmm. th those kind of things. Those have some meaning. Yeah. You know, there there's you you look yeah. at that. You you, you cuddle up with the, one of those beaver pillows on the on the couch every night, and and I can see the smile on your face when you when you cuddle against it. You know, I mean, there's there's a, there's memories there. There's there's satisfaction. There's just 
there's that, that good, uh, happy glow happening in, in, in your brain, you know? Yeah. And I think that a lot of trappers mm -hmm. get that satisfaction, whether or not they, they craft something themselves out of the fur that they've trapped or whether, um, or whether they have someone like uh, Sis and Furs who did the blanket for us and the pillows, it's still, it's an accomplishment from your own um, effort. And we look at hunting the very same way. You know, a lot of people will say that taxidermy mm -hmm. is a waste, you know, don't, don't bother with it, that kind of thing. And, and for us, it's, it really just kind of brings back all those memories of, whatever trip we were on, who we were with, what the food was like, what the temperature was like. And it's very similar with trapping. It, you know, you, you have a, a product at the end of it and you know where it came from, what the effort was involved in, in catching it and, and then processing it right through to whatever the end product is. Even though we're turning some, some agree, moose absolutely. into South African sausage this year. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> it's like a multi-continental <laughs> de delicacy. It's a confusing uh, issue for the moose, but uh, it's wonderful, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I believe that, yeah. Yeah, def absolutely. You can't, And you can't eat better no. than that, right? Like, you know where it came from. Um, you know, it's had, there's something so satisfying about saying, you know, like, I, I hunted that, I... I I, you know, process that myself. And then I cooked a meal from it and I could serve this to my family. And I know they're eating the best that I can absolutely give them. And it tastes pretty darn good too, at the same time. So, yep. you know, again, a, a proud feeling of accomplishment right yes, there. Right? Yes. Well, I think it's really important that women are on the landscape when it comes to trapping and hunting and, and all things outdoors. And I know that there is a big um, surge in women hunting, um, I'm hoping that there's going to be more of a surge, more people like you out there, Stacy, who are who are teaching your daughters and your community members what it's like to be a trapper and to encourage and embrace women in in the trapping world. I I hope that it's going to be something like what's happened in uh, in some of the more urban areas in Eastern Canada, where a lot of women are taking up hunting because it's organic, right. it's organic meat. And then, it, you know, you take that one step further and if you tan a hide of a deer or an elk or a moose or what have you, then it's not too much of a stretch to, to think about trapping and how that, how trapping is a, is a buffer between urban and, and the wild and how trappers play a part in that and what then can we do with those skins and, you know, it just kind of, it carries the whole flow of, of bringing probably two diverse, um, uh, not economies, but, um, cultures, cultures I guess, together where, yeah. where more rural mm -hmm. is interfacing more with urban and teaching people along the way that it's, it's not really foreign. It's just part that it's been lost because we, we now prefer to buy things yeah. at Walmart or Costco as opposed to making a quality item out of something that's been sourced in your own backyard. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that we've become such an instant society that we've lost that connection with the earth and with, with what nature offers us. And, and it, it's, it's something that I don't want to lose. And, and I'm definitely, you know, helping 
paved the way, I guess, to teaching my kids that as well, one, right? One of the things that we've believed for many years now is that if dad hunts fishes or traps, the kids might. But if mom hunts and hunts and fishes and traps, the whole family does. Mm, uh, wow. That puts a lot of pressure <laughs> on, on us ladies, well, doesn't it? You know what? I think more than anything, it, it if, if women are welcomed into it by their significant other or 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 someone from their community like you, where where it wasn't necessarily your yeah. your husband, but it was your upbringing and then connecting with people in the community that could reintroduce you to the trapping world. I think that those things are really, really yeah. valuable, but it, it takes somebody with a, with a want and a desire to do those things. So so hats off to you, Stacy, because not only are you teaching your daughters, but your daughters bring their friends home and you're teaching their friends and then their friends go home and talk about it with their mm -hmm. parents. And suddenly this whole concept is just a huge wave that's sweeping across the country that really helps bring us into more of a, a positive light. You know, we're not just a, a bunch of miserly old yeah. men that are living in a shack and and uh you know gnawing on an old moose bone right so yeah. oh, she's just a little bitty thing in you. although there are still yeah. some like yeah, that. there are and there's nothing wrong with that at all i just think that the face no. of of modern life uh, embracing the idea of an ancient culture is really gratifying She's just a little lady to think you just put the responsibility of all this on her shoulders. Oh, not, not, not just her. Not just her. There's a lot of women out there and we know lots of ladies who are as deep into it um, as, as, you know, as we are and as you are. I don't know very many people, though, Stacey, mm -hmm. that, that have uh, as many things going on in their lives, you know, bees and cattle and horses and trapping and homeschooling your children and on it goes right so i, I think it's remarkable that that people are are really able to embrace all well, of that's this. the old it's the old thing if you want to get something done give it to a busy person that's true <laughs> well be careful now because just do it your own self stacy because they want something done and she's a busy girl <laughs> Well, you know, I just enjoy. It. I really, truly do enjoy it, and it's it's nice to be able to share it with people who feel the same way. Well, that's good. That's good. We have taken up an hour of your evening here on a Friday night, and uh, gosh, we sure appreciate it. We've had a lot of fun. I hope you've had fun. Is there anything? Yeah, finally... I certainly have. <laughs> Is there anything final you'd like to leave? Thoughts you'd like to leave with us? Oh, nothing like putting me on the spot. Um, no, I I can't. <laughs> I think we've covered enough. I've had a blast. This is so much fun. Um, and and it's 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 been an honor. And and um, I hope to do some more and uh, just keep in touch with you guys. This is definitely we will we will do this again. I'm I'm sure we're yeah. we're, we're going to get lots of feedback on this. And thank you. Uh, you asked why I why we wanted to talk to you because you're a new trapper. I said, well. Being a new trapper was important. You're also a, a lady trapper and a mom, and those are, are those are new frontiers. So we, we, we really appreciate you taking the time. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Stacey. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening.
Oh, thank you. It was and a maybe pleasure. we'll see you all down the line. 